This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome into another edition of the Bartholomew Town Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Bartholomew. On this episode, is Rhode Island doing enough when it comes to climate change? A discussion with environmental activists Ken Payne and Paul Roselli. And this conversation comes on the heels of a report produced by Ken Payne and Paul Roselli titled Insufficient. So you kind of get an idea right there from the title of where their heads are at when it comes to Rhode Island's management of climate change. And you may remember about a year ago, we had a roundtable discussion on climate change responding to Rhode Island's Executive Climate Change Coordinating Council. Uh, Ken Payne and Paul Roselli were on that panel. And even back then, it was sort of like, yeah, we're we're not even close to where we need to be. We've certainly seen a surge in the youth-led response to climate change policy here in Rhode Island and beyond, of course, with the Sunrise Movement. You think about, you know, marching on the State House, the climate rally last fall. So a lot going on in this department. And today we're going to hear from two veterans of this movement. And by the way, new episodes of the Bartholomew Town podcast are up every Tuesday and Friday. Share on social media, tell a friend, uh, go ahead and leave a rating and review if you want to help support the show. And as we move towards election season, you're going to start to hear more and more episodes focusing in on Rhode Island elections, Rhode Island candidates, uh, policy analysis as we make our way towards first the primary in September and then well, primaries in September and then, of course, to the general election in November. So Bartholomew Town, your Rhode Island election central. And um, hey, happy to do it for you. OK, let's get into today's conversation. Paul Roselli and Ken Payne. Is Rhode Island doing enough when it comes to climate change? They say no. Here's why. So, you know, as we move through, as we've moved through, I should say, the COVID-19 crisis and certainly now in, in this period here with um, an emerging, re-emerging uh, lens upon social inequities across the board, other aspects of our states um, and really world's um, problems, infrastructure have, have been not swept under the rug, but the attention hasn't been paid uh as much as it would be probably in quote unquote normal times. One of those areas is climate change and just generally environmental concerns. Joining us today, Ken Payne and Paul Roselli, who I think it was like a year ago, we were on here discussing the EC4 and now we're back at it. I want to read this report that just came out. It's titled Insufficient and I'll, I'll paraphrase here. This is basically when it comes to climate change, Rhode Island needs not less science, but more, not less public engagement, but more. Not less planning and reporting, but more. Not less formality, but more. Not less assessment, integration, and coordination of state agency activities, but more. The state and the EC4 must move beyond business as usual and the short-term thinking that drives the alloc- allocative efficiency of our market economy. Adaptive efficiency is vital to long- long-run economic health. Greenhouse gas emissions are cumulative. The effects of what we do or do not do will be born in the future. So Ken Payne, as the author of this report, Insufficient, kind of speaks for itself, but can you sort of touch on exactly, you know, where we are today in addressing greenhouse gas emissions and climate change broadly here in the state of Rhode Island? Uh, Bill, uh, first of all, you're right. We were talking about this just a little bit more than a year ago. And I wish I had said that the year that followed was progress in Rhode Island in a significant degree. What this um, report shows is really we just continue business as usual. 
is if they were mad as it did, it did what it did and didn't do what it didn't do as usual. And in a period when there was really throughout 2019, a mounting sense of emergency around climate, EC4 just went on as though nothing had changed. And uh, that's the context in which this analysis was written. When you look at what the big news was at the end of 2019, is that Australia was on fire. And that was, it was the second highest year on record ever. So here we had all these signals, but our own government system wasn't picking up on it. And what this more dramatic version of the analysis did was um, say, we have to pay attention. What we're doing is not sufficient. Now, how do you gauge sufficiency? You have a bar. And when you get over the bar, you say we're sufficient. If you set the bar low and you can step over it, that you're over the bar. But if the real bar is a higher one, stepping over a lower bar and saying success may make you feel good, but it's not what we need. And so if you really look at this, what we did was we accepted science of the period when Al Gore was still vice president. That feels like a long time ago now. And we didn't look at the science that came afterwards and the, the Paris Agreement, which was recognized in Governor Raimondo's executive order, or anything like that, we can sit, continue to use the pre-2000 science and then self-congratulate ourselves as a state for stepping over that bar somewhat. We got over the bar really in two ways. First of all, we used the emissions data from the winter of 2016, which was a very warm winter. Thus, there was few uh, emissions from our heating systems because people weren't burning as much oil, gas, and whatnot. And we changed the accounting for emissions from um, electric generating facilities, from generating facilities located in Rhode Island to the generating facilities used by Rhode Islanders in obtaining their electricity. The difference is we're outliers in doing what we did. It was a way to shift to better numbers. And, in, and if we did it for all sorts of emissions, it would make sense. But singling out electrical generation is a trick. So we said, we, we met our 2020 goals. Well, we stepped over a low bar and we only do it, did it by giving ourselves a little two-step boost. How does that help us address 
climate change. That's an insufficient response. And that's um, why um, the report has the title it does, and it's why um, uh, Paul Roselli's fabulous front page graphic uh, tells the story that um, we couldn't go underwater unless we do something different. And and Paul, you're on this call as well, and and you're you've announced recently that a, a, a second, I believe, your second uh, run at yeah. Rhode Island State Senate. Um, and and I'll also link to the report in the episode here. So if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, it'll be in the description. If you're on uh, my website, it'll be in the bio, and I'll I'll tweet it out. Um, because it's it's obviously it's too robust to sit here, and we're not going to read it cover to cover, and and. But everyone should see this, especially those who are working on anything related to climate change. The Green New Deal, I think back to, I think it was November, maybe not. My t- I'm, I'm, I'm all over the place with timeline. There was a Boston Globe event, actually, it probably was earlier this year. Uh, the governor was speaking at this Globe event, and a group of Sunrise Movement protesters had sort of embedded themselves in the crowd, and at one point popped up out of the crowd and, and rushed the stage and basically demanded that Governor Raimondo sign a Green New Deal for Rhode Island. How much does that sort of thinking, sort of the youth-led thinking that is going on around climate change space play into what would make Rhode Island's response sufficient? Is there a lot of parallels there? And what else do you see from your perspective, um, both as an environmental activist, someone who's, who's worked on this for you know decades, and also someone who is now... Um, Entering, you, you've always been in the halls of government. You're there. You're you're a fixture at the state house, but is now once again pushing from a platform based standpoint environmental issues. Yeah. There's one important point to remember here that that this uh, document wasn't wasn't written by uh, an individual or or a small group of people. The, the Civic Alliance for Cooler Rhode Island um, has, has a great name, uh, and it has some really terrific people who started it. Ken Payne, Timmons Roberts, uh, thought that what was lacking in the state was some type of oversight entity, yep. uh, that the EC4 was getting away with too much. Um, as, as Ken mentioned about uh, how you how you uh, calculate emissions, um, either externally or internally. How do you calculate this, and what numbers do you use in order to get over that bar? The the, the Civic Alliance for Cooler Rhode Island. Uh, this is our third report, Kent. Uh, Ken, is this uh, our third report, and but each one has gotten uh, more aggressive. I'll say. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, but. You know, you send, you send the shot across the bow, right? Then you um, uh, take another shot, and it's um, meant to be more than a warning. This is really a bigger, this is not quite a torpedo, because we're not trying to sink the ship, but this is really um, ratcheting it up. Because we had to shift in 2020 to planet, to getting us to much higher levels about four times the annual rate of emissions reduction than previously. Um, and that's just to meet the antiquated goals. That doesn't 
do what the deeper decarbonization report recommends. And I think Timmons Roberts, this is you point out, was absolute, which was September on 2019, was invaluable and been the platform for this, because it said there's more to the science than what is being um, embraced by the state. And that, um, and if it, I think Timmons de deserves a huge amount. Then the participants in it, um, we talk about it what, every month as we were producing it. They edited, gave input, did all those things. Um, for, I would say a good four months, right? Right, at least, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I want to answer Bill's question, observation about the Sunrise Movement. That there's a, you know, and, and uh, there, there are two old white guys here. And, and we understand that uh, readily and, and easily. Uh, one of the benefits of, of the Sunrise Movement is their, is their age and their, and their youth. Disruption always matters. Uh, it, this, this, this book um, is, a, is an attempt at a disruption. This report is, uh, as, as Ken says, is more than just a shot over the bow. It's, it's a direct hit. Uh, there's a general frustration. I, I know Ken would, would agree with me. There's a general frustration, no matter what your age is, that things aren't happening fast enough. And, and we've been waiting four, five, six years. The Resilient Rhode Island Act was signed into law, and Ken, please correct me, in 2014. Here we are six years later. What measurable activity, what one thing can you look at, can you point to in state government that says that we're on the road, we are we are now making a dramatic effort to change business as usual. Is there one thing? We're, we're still looking for that. Anything. Uh, the, the accounting process is a disaster. Having uh, this Invenergy project, and I'll bring it up, because it deserves attention, even now. Uh, the, the now uh, head of OER was at those uh, EFSB meetings just about every every time there was a public hearing. Not not uh, in, not against the uh, power plant, but being the eyes and ear of the governor who was for it. And that's where we are in the state. I I think this this is a this is a good report that was created by. A good, knowledgeable uh, Ken's experience and background is is uh, far outshines anybody uh, within state government. Um, Timmons Roberts, uh, many of the other members uh, of the of the Civic Alliance for Cooler Rhode Island are well versed in all of these activities, all of these issues, and this is the this is the culmination of. Of that uh, of that experience and the, and that that uh, that background, we want more than just to sink the ship. We want them to act. <laughs>
This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast. Hey everyone, for as little as $3 a month, you can support the journalism, entertainment, opinion, and analysis that the Bartholomew Town Podcast has become known for here in Rhode Island and beyond. Visit patreon.com slash bartholomewtown and explore the different membership opportunities. You can even become a B-Town insider where you'll receive exclusive episodes and other content each month. It's patreon.com slash bartholomewtown. I wonder so many times on many issues, but especially this issue, what the, you know, you look at the, the soft solutions where, look, solar, there's, a, there's obviously a, a, a tremendous value to solar, but then, you know, sort of the passive way that we've got a little bit of solar and it's sort of become an industrial um, monet, mo- moneymaker for certain folks. But, you know, there isn't, and this is just one finite issue, but there isn't necessarily a big push for, you know, broadly folks to have solar panels on their roof, for example. Um, you know, that they're, they, they, or whatever it may be. Everything has been in this matter. There's just enough, it seems like, whether it's the administration or whomever, to say, look, we're doing things, we're making progress, we're doing the best we can, but not actually making the full-scale change to be a leader. They'll, they'll also point to Orsted and the wind turbines, which are valuable, and, and there's obviously major challenges, environmental challenges that we've discussed um, Paul, you, you know, we've had a recent discussion earlier this year on that, but again, it's not, that's more optics maybe than, um, than full scale change. Ken, I wonder what on a practical basis can be done in the next year or two, whether through legislative action, executive order, or the private sector stepping in to push us to a position where we are, we are at least close to closer to a sufficient response. Uh, First of all, we should um, amend the renewable energy standard to uh, make the um, rules for um, obtaining electricity from renewable sources, the annual rules, higher. The governor's executive order says we're going to get to 100% by um, 2030, I believe. Yep. The problem with an executive order is it's not binding on anyone. It's not something that PUC would rely on in a decision. It's only a desire of a specific administration. And it doesn't live beyond that administration. So um, what we need to do is a statutory amendment to ramp up the renewable energy standard. That would be, first of all, the... Um, uh, so that we get, we're having no carbon from electricity generation. Second, we need to then electrify the things that can be electrified. And that means, and that's where the deeper decarbonization report is very clear. It shows that that can largely be done. Um, then, um, this is not a Rhode Island thing, but it's a national thing. We have to figure out non-carbon-based fuels for things that can't be electrified. Um, that, and then there is another Rhode Island-based thing, So, and that's um, fix the food system. That the food system is um, one of the major sources of carbon emissions globally, and certainly we participate in that system, and we can 
um, um, make changes there that would be able to be beneficial to health, beneficial to social equity, and reduce carbon emissions. Those are four things that are doable. And the reality is, if um, I were to say to you, Bill, run a marathon today, you would say, pain, you're crazy. <laughs> yeah. Um, if I say, Bill, why don't you may have planned to have a run a marathon in six months? You say, well, if I trained a little bit every day, wrapped up what I was doing, I would probably do it. Well, what we've said is we don't want to do any training. We don't want to ramp up. We want to just continue business as usual, and we'll get to the marathon later. That's exactly not the way to be able to run a marathon. It's why having you stay on the story is so important because people have to know you can do stuff Incremental progress makes a difference. The legislation that I wrote between 2006 and 2012, right in that period of time, um, now employs 16,000 people in Rhode Island. That's huge. That's huge. And so it's a job generator. Um, that's what the Green New Deal can do, as you have to do um, green infrastructure improvements to manage changing um, rain patterns and manage water flow. Green New Deal can help you do that and be beneficial to our landscaping and nursery industry. We can, as we shift from one thing to another, it can be a job generator. Um, and so that of the range of ideas about addressing the reality of climate change, as soon as you say yes, the one that is most mainstream, the one that is least far out, is stuff like the Green New Deal. Um, it really is derivative of FDR, um, uh, kind of thing. And we, the country didn't fall apart as a result of the New Deal. Um, uh, and it wouldn't fall apart as a result of the Green New Deal either. Um, there are those who say that um, business community is so hostile to the Green New Deal that um, the U.S. will not be able to do a middle-of-the-road approach. And that only radical change is available. The reason why we, um, we need to give that a shot, and this is where what Sunrise and others, are, the leadership they're showing, is so important, is we have to create an opportunity for democratic systems to work and not be stifled by um, cynicism, um, name-calling, um, nihilism, uh, all those things which are now rampant. Paul, in the uh, in these last few minutes here, that and, and kind of building off of not only the job creation spots uh, or, or elements of, of what Ken just said, but thinking about just 
environmental justice. And as we start to reexamine society, whether it's police reform, education, medicine, medical access, I should say, you know, the reality is climate justice plays into social justice. Wouldn't this be an opportune time to, to really, you know, start to do things in a way that they haven't been done yet? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think, I think you're absolutely right. Um, again, I'll, I'll go back to, to our, our white privilege here and, and what, what we need is a different voice. Uh, we need different, different people with different experiences coming, coming into this, uh, into this game. What, what I go back to all the time is that without a healthy environment, no matter where you live, health issues pop up almost overnight. Um, toxic substances, air pollution, asthma, all of those things. Uh, there's also a, a degradation of the, the immune system. So things like viruses all of a sudden become more rampant in populations where all of those environmental issues are either neglected or on purpose magnified. Uh, I think, uh, I think we, we call them sacrifice zones. We just say, uh, along Allen's Avenue, we give up. We just give up. Uh, we'll, we'll put the oil depots, we'll put the LNG facilities, we'll put the, the, the junkyard, we'll put, put the salt depot, we'll have trucks going and out, we'll even do a, a trash transfer station. Why not, right? We, 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 we've, we've written that place off. So let's write it off completely. Uh, without a healthy environment, uh, we, we just we, we can't make it. We can't do it. Uh, it's, it's key for any civil society, as Ken says, uh, with, within a, a, a democratic system to exert its own democracy. Sun, sunrise does it. We, we try to do it as a, a, a shadow uh, EC4 uh, organization just to make sure they stay on target. It's, it's the responsibility of civic organizations to keep everybody on track. There, there's no substitute in the democracy. As, as we go through this, and you're, you're doing it, uh, I, I remember talking to you uh, years ago when you said you've got to do something. You've got to do something. After whatever the election was, whatever, whatever the year was, you said, I can't sit back and just let this go. Yep. And, and, and now you're, you're doing what, what you're doing with podcasts, websites, and hosting shows like this. We need more of that because the status quo, the powers to be, aren't going to do it. They're just not going to do it, even people in the wings. You know, I, I mean, you and I have had this, this discussion. Many of us have had this discussion about, well, if we, if we change the current leadership, I hate to tell you that the next tier of leadership is, is almost as bad, if not worse, in some cases. So, so it's, it's now in, incumbent upon uh, um, all of us, civic groups like this, campaign, many, many others, Tim, Rock, Tim and Roberts, and many, many more uh, to get organized and, and put out reports like this, cause a little disruption, get Sunrise to, to, to do it in more places, and, and for us to make us substantive change so we never have to write a report like this again. That's the idea, right, is just to be able to move past the point where th th these conversations aren't required anymore. Um, Ken, I, I'll give you the last word here. And really, 
you know, your work has been integral, as you mentioned, to where we're at least where we're at, we're at now where Rhode Island isn't currently underwater or currently, you know, um, you know, filled with toxic smog day to day or whatever it is, you know, it's all relative, I suppose. But what would you like to see from a civic engagement perspective in an election year where we have so much going on right now um, in other areas with, with obviously with the virus and with social justice protests, what would you like to see from the younger voices that are leading a lot of the change that's happening right now? Um, what's, what would you specifically like to see them call for here in Rhode Island? I think that um, a broad call for um, uh, social equity is um, uh, critical at this point in time. That that's um, foundational, and that um, and that equity needs to include equity with other species as well. So that the um, the challenge that we have is that we um, privilege, um, there's white privilege, and then there's homo sapien privilege. And that, um, uh, and that we allow um, other things to be um, on the receiving end of our demands for privilege. And so I think that um, amplifying out that message, which is being so done so well I went to um, the um, march on the uh, up to the state house several fr- Fridays ago, and was there, and it was wonderful. Um, and I've have continued to participate in that, and I really see that as hopeful. And it's not cynical, my goodness, it's not cynical, and it's and it is um, res- resolute. So the absence of cynicism and a high measure of resoluteness is just right. It's what I did 50 years ago. I mean, um, I was suing to block nuclear power plants when I was in my 20s. So uh, it can be done. Um, And I'm hot to retire. (laughs) I can see that. That's for sure. This report is excellent, and I will certainly link to it and continue to share it. Paul Roselli, now a a candidate for uh, Senate here in Rhode Island, got to use that title these days, and uh, Ken Payne, a a legacy environmental leader here in Rhode Island, someone who uh, is certainly going to be, when the history books are written 500 years from now, you're uh, you're right there on that that chapter. So thanks, gentlemen, for all you've done. This is... The Bartholomew Town Bartholomew Podcast. Town is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeart, and wherever you like to get audio. And remember to follow us on your favorite social media channels. Search for the Bartholomew Town Podcast Facebook group and give me a follow on Twitter and Instagram at Bill Bartholomew.